Good morning and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to tell you part two of the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility riot that occurred in 1993. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. About three days in, they haven't had a talk with the news media quite yet and where they're going to release a hostage. But about three days in, they start hanging sheets out the windows saying, there's one specifically that says, you have three and a half hours to meet our demands or one hostage dies. And this is where things take a turn. So news media clearly have helicopters around and can see this sheet and is asking Tessa Unwin, who was a public information officer is what they call her for the situation and they're asking her what they intend to do about it and she kind of brushes it off she says it's a standard threat it's nothing new they've been making threats like this from the beginning of the riot it's nothing and this gets talked about through the news medias and inmates hear it through a radio and it pisses them off They're like, they're not taking us seriously. We said we'd kill a hostage. And they specifically talk about this Tessa who is speaking. And they want to kind of show them they're serious. I'm already nervous for where this is going. It's not going anywhere good. A couple days after this happens, so five days after the riot began, prisoners bring a body out. And it was the body of prison guard Robert Valandingham that they murdered because they were mad that their needs were not getting met. Really sad and unfortunate. And from what was said after the fact, all the inmates say they thought he was a good guy and that they didn't have any beef with him, with Robert specifically. However, when the riot started, he saw a lot of the beginning of it and who initiated stuff and unfortunately saw something that I assume made the inmates choose him to murder. So for you guys, Abby told me that she was going to do this case because she needed a break from some of the sad stuff. This is the sad part. And I'm like, where did the break go? You know, true crime is sad in and of itself. It's... <sighs> this is just, it's hard. Because like, what did he do wrong other than Absolutely see nothing. something? It's a completely innocent victim. And I hate, I hate that. Not that they should have killed any of the guards, but I wish that there was some sort of better method to handle some of the hostage situations. Because of this, the public, the media, families of hostages, you know, they're mad and frustrated, understandably, because they feel like you guys aren't doing anything to end this. Because like I said, it was kind of a waiting game, a stalling game. And they are saying, you know, they're killing hostages anyway, just go in there and take over. But they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to risk more hostages dying. It becomes this whole messy thing between media and officials and people in charge. However, as I said earlier, George Skates had said, if you let us talk to the media, we'll give you a hostage. I thought it was two hostages. That's originally what they had asked for. But what they ended up settling on was George is going to give them one hostage for a chance to talk to the media. So they allow 23-year-old corrections officer Daryl Clark to leave. And he safely is removed from the premises. And George Skates does a talk, 
I guess, with the media saying that the gist of it was they talk about their demands and they're not going to give up or surrender until they get what they want. So now they have six hostages, correct? Correct. Because they killed Robert and they gave Daryl up. Yes. So day six comes around and another hostage is allowed to leave if they can have another broadcast. And this hostage is corrections officer James Demons. And it's interesting because he comes out with a group of inmates who are going to talk to the media again. And he comes out in traditional Muslim garments and says he is now converted and that he is Muslim now and says his Muslim name is Mustafa Ahmed Lee and talks about how he's mad at the negotiators and the officers involved and that they're not doing things right. He's basically pleading for the inmates. And everyone's kind of like, what is going on? Is he just playing around? Yeah. So he was, okay. I was wondering if he was like pretending to be part of it when you said it. Yeah, she done took my story. <laughs> All right, never mind. No, you're, no it's fine. It's okay. fine. But yeah, he, he later on, you know, at the time, everyone's really confused. And later on, he says, I said what I needed to get out. And I said what I needed to keep the other hostages safe and not piss off the inmates and power to him. Exactly. I think that that's, I mean, not always the best idea, but sometimes it is better to just pretend to side with them. And if you can really put on that show, then sometimes it does actually help. What? Yeah, I just thought what a like what a smart and clever man to do this, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes people and I'm not condemning this at all, but people don't want to do that. And they want to stick to what they know, like, I will never say anything against xyz but you know you got to think about saving yourself and your fellow hostages corrections officers in this case and what you can do and you know i don't necessarily condone either way to go about it but i think personally i think he did it right so how long have they been in there now since the riot six days when james comes out okay so they have gone now six days without food and water and all of that because they haven't gotten a or have they gotten a care package? You know, I'm not sure when it got sent in. At some point for like goodwill, they sent in some food and supplies. I'm not sure at what day mark that happened though. However, nine days into the riot, so we're jumping a little bit. You know, everything for the past couple days has stayed pretty similar. Uh, same situation. But nine days in, a new negotiator, spokesperson for the inmates, whatever you want to call it, Jason Robb comes forward and he is now talking to negotiators on the phone instead of George. And negotiators are kind of like, what's going on? They're like, George needed to rest or something. Jason starts now talking to negotiators, which, you know, kind of feels like negotiators from the opposite side took a step back. You know, they've been talking with George for eight days. And now they're starting fresh with Jason, who says he's been there the whole time. He knows what's going on. He's in charge now. They're calling him the mayor. And he wants specifically to talk to an attorney from Cleveland named Nikki Schwartz. They have heard of Nikki because Nikki had had a lot of experience dealing with prisoners and prison administration in the past. So what the inmates wanted was to talk to him, talk to Nikki about what they can do to kind of save face, basically what they can do. So they're not going to get just absolutely destroyed when this is all said and done. So they agree. They set up tables on 
either side of one of the fences and Nikki comes to one side and some of the inmates, including Jason, go to the other side to talk to him and type up a document in response to the inmates' 21 demands they had. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Did the inmates give up a hostage for this situation? Yes, they sell five hostages. And kind of what they're saying is, you know, like, we will surrender. We want to, but we need to talk to an attorney. I'm just genuinely concerned about the hostages. Like, in my head, I just keep thinking about them and the fact that they're just in there. And they're probably not getting any of the food or care package items that are being given to the inmates. So, in my head, I'm just, I can't stop thinking about them. I can't imagine their treatment was the greatest but I mean from what they know at this point they're alive at some point they do actually send to negotiators I don't know if it's like an audio tape or a video or somehow it happened where they were able to hear from the hostages hear their voices and know that they're still alive which is interesting in the press release the woman says alive and well and I was like are they well (laughs) alive is one thing but they've obviously been through something like I don't know if well is the right word but it might be a stretch so from what we can tell and assume they're still alive at this point but like I said they type up a document in response to the demands that the prisoners and the inmates have among some of the demands is that if they surrender and when they surrender, they want there to be observers and they want it to be televised. So their fear was that because of all the like buildup and hatred and stuff that like SWAT was going to come in and just shoot them basically was their fear. So they wanted it to be televised so that the public could see what was happening. I think that's fair. I mean, they have been kind of mistreated and they've had some of their rights taken away from them already and that's what they're currently rioting against so they just want to make sure that it's not what's going to happen again and if it is the public knows about it and it can be taken care of later i think it's kind of what they're doing i think it makes sense they were you know definitely on the more clever and intelligent side when it came to a lot of this situation i think not necessarily like I'm not giving them any compliments because I don't know how I feel about the situation, obviously. But, you know, they were thinking things through. They knew that this riot did not end as soon as they surrendered. They knew there would be a lot afterwards. I'm not sure the violent riot was the best way to go about it. But I don't know that they had any other options for getting their point across because they weren't being listened to. And they were only allowed five minute phone calls once a year. So what were they able to say during that? So... You know, this document is typed up and they agree. They say we're going to surrender. So 11 days after the riot started on April 21st, groups of prisoners begin to evacuate the area, which I will say at this point, there are significantly less prisoners to evacuate. I guess throughout the days, some of them had a good number of them had already come out and surrendered before this core group did. 
but they start to come out in small groups. It's all televised. You can see video from the news and on documentaries of them coming out. And finally, after all the prisoners come out, there's like this one last group and there's a bunch of them walking in a line with their arms on the shoulders of people in front of them. And it ends up being a couple inmates with the hostages leading the hostages out who are blindfolded. Are they blindfolded? I think inmates didn't want officers to see the faces of who was right there involved with it. It'll come into play later. After it's said and done, the rest of the hostages come out and they're alive and, well, I don't know about well, but they're alive and, you know, they all recover from their injuries and they're physically okay. There was one of the hostages I saw an interview with who said that one of the guys, I can't remember which, uh, like, section he was in, like, which group, but he said, the guy said, it's over, we're going to take you out. And he said, I don't believe you, you probably just told me that and you're going to kill me. And he's like, well, what do you want? Like, I don't know how to prove that to you. And the officer says, well, let let me put my hands like around your neck while you lead me out. That way, if something happens, I can like, you know, basically I'll kill you. And the guy's like, I'm I'm honest, like we're we're going out. You can do that. So he literally like had his hands around the guy's neck, the inmate's neck as they were let out. Wow. The prison is an absolute mess. Like I said, they had like $40 million in damage. Things are destroyed, broken, papers everywhere. Things were set on fire. They were like, they would have like piles of stuff they used to barricade different areas. There were over 1,200 pieces of evidence to dig through. Well, and if they had no water, I'm sure the bathrooms were. You know, it probably smelled pretty bad. Yeah. Because they, it was 11 days in there with no water and they just, probably not great. Investigators and officials relied heavily on testimony of other inmates to find out what happened and who was involved. I gave Erica a side eye because I said relying on other inmates to see who's involved. How do you think that went? Oh, the inmates that are in prison for committing crimes? The Like, you know, they're the most honest people on the planet. So I'm going to just take a wild guess and assume that it went really well and everybody was super honest and they didn't throw anybody under the bus. They were just telling facts. Sure. That's exactly what happened. I hope you guys heard my sarcasm. Yeah, I had some subtle sarcasm too. 32 inmates gave evidence or testified for the state in return for more lenient sentences. When it's all said and done and we are charging individuals, five inmates really got the shit end of the stick here. All these five were sentenced to death for different counts, specifically for... The murders of the other inmates, the murder of Robert Valandingham, the riot itself. And these people are Sadiq Hassan, George Skates, Jason Robb, Keith Lamar, and James Ware. And here's where a lot of the problem happens. Multiple people have come out and said and testified in favor of these guys saying they were not the ones who did any of the murdering. They didn't have a hand in it. Specifically, a couple of them were the ones who were trying to talk to negotiators to end it peacefully. However, because they were on the forefront of it, like George Skates and Jason Robb, they were the ones talking to the media in the face of the riot. They really got pinned as the ones who were in charge of it. In this just blew up to a huge problem because, well, one, they all got sentenced to death for it, for crimes that themselves and other witnesses say they didn't commit. And people, some attorneys or lawyers involved too argue that why 
are the people who came, the inmates who came forward and tried to peacefully resolve it, the ones getting this punishment because for future riots, nobody's going to want to take on that role. You know, it it makes it questionable for future situations. Is anybody going to come forward and try to resolve the situation if they might get a death penalty out of it? Probably not. So did the witnesses that were saying they didn't have anything to do with it, were that did they come forward and say these people are the ones that actually did it? I'm not sure if they gave names or even knew really specifically what happened. The problem with this situation is it's just a lot of inmates and prisoners pointing fingers at everyone and each other and anyone but themselves. And the hostages all had blindfolds on the entire time? Yes. I'm going to specifically jump to George Skates here. He's got a whole website that he obviously didn't make, but it's called Truth and Justice for George Skates, all about his wrongful conviction. They talk a lot about how he not only did not murder anybody during this situation, but he like helped control and save people in this situation when there were like fights breaking out when they were going to like kill someone. There's a moment where they were saying one of the inmates had to die because they'd seen too much and tried to attack him and skate saved him basically i mean i'm i'm having trouble with it because there are people wrongfully convicted 100 we do multiple mini episodes about wrongful convictions that's kind of my department but i also know that prisoners every prisoner every inmate is innocent in their eyes yeah they all say that they're innocent so, I, I mean, I wasn't there for the situation and there were witnesses there, but the, in, the witnesses were also other inmates. And we've done so many episodes where we talk about the other inmates' statements and then find out that they're a complete lie. The ones that are in there for life have nothing to lose, so they don't care what they say. Yeah, and, you know, not to mention that I think I said 32 inmates testified for more lenient sentences against other inmates. You know, if they're saying, hey, we'll you're not going to get in near as much trouble if you just say this guy was part of it. Sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. There were testimonies that, like I said, with George Skates specifically, that he did have a direct hand in the killing of the prison guard and voted to do it and a direct hand in killing some of the inmates. I and mean, those were what were testified in court and what led to him getting a death penalty. It's a bad situation. You don't know, I guess. And I kind of feel like the death penalty was maybe a little too far. I think that they could... And I don't know, I guess, where it ends. I don't know if any of them have been put to death or what happens. But I feel like they could have gone with a little lesser strict sentence and been like, all right, we're going to leave. Like, you're going to be in prison now. Your sentence was 20 years. We're going to double it or we're going to leave you in here for life. But then also looking at some of the, the systems that they have in the prison that aren't working and that were being rioted against in the first place and making some changes, including each prisoner having their own cell or just kind of listening maybe a little bit to some of the stuff and making it a more humane place because they are prisoners, but they do still, in the eyes of the law, they're supposed to have rights. I think it's just a hard situation, but I think that maybe the death penalty is going a step too far for it. I agree, especially when you don't really know what happened in there. But like you said, you weren't sure what happened. The five inmates that got sentenced to death for this, they're still all on death row. None of them have been put to death yet. They're still there waiting that. They've been get, doing some appeals. I'm, I've got some information for you guys 
for after the fact. It's been like 27 years. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, people are on death row, like, their whole day in life. If you guys noticed, we recently released an episode about the death penalty, talking about death row and the ins and outs of it. Yeah, I think this these two definitely fit nicely together. After all of this, like I said, there's, like, Innocence websites dedicated to these specific they call them the lucasville five talking about their innocence there's been appeals and you know even some other inmates coming out saying you know i was like there's one specifically who was injured in an infirmary and he said a bunch of guys came in a lieutenant a chief investigator troopers and said we want skates we want lavelle we want hassan we know they're the leaders and we want to convict them so you give us something to convict them you know and that raises a lot of questions on whether the investigation was done correctly there's been a lot of fight and backlash on it specifically because for quite a while after this all happened some of the inmates of the Lucasville Five, specifically Sadiq, who... So there's a Netflix show called Captive, and there's an episode on it about the riot, which is a beautiful episode. Like, it really gives you good information. I do 100% recommend it. Actually, that whole show is very good. It's about different people who have been in hostage situations or held captive. It's, it's definitely very interesting. But after the documentary or whoever... The film crew, I don't know what you call it. They kind of filmed Sadiq talking to them on the phone from prison. They weren't allowed to go in and film him like in an interview. But that prison that he was in, and I would have to look up which one it is, but they were pissed and they did not want Sadiq talking to the media and they revoked a lot of his rights after it. There is a time period where he was in solitary for years and was only allowed out of his cell one hour of the day, couldn't make phone calls wasn't allowed to talk to to see family members and he went on a hunger strike in 2011 he had a lawyer come in and actually filed suit against like the prison for these injustices or perceived injustices and one was able to get some more of his rights back a couple other inmates who had a similar situation where they weren't allowed to see family or talk to media or anything like that did a hunger strike in 2011 specifically Jason Robb and Keith Lamar were a part of this hunger strike. Were they all sent to different prisons? They, yeah, some of them are in different ones. But these two did a hunger strike in 2011 with another inmate and actually won, I guess. is I don't know if that's the right word, but it got enough attention from media and people outside about the conditions that they were being held under that they were able to get some of their rights back. I think it's crazy that we need lawyers out there whose full-time job is to ensure that humans are getting their rights and that people are like respecting that. Because even in prisons, they... I mean, I've said it before on this episode, but they do have their rights. And there are those cases of people who are genuinely wrongfully convicted. And you can't just take away people's rights. I mean, you're already restricting certain things because they're in prison, but they're in prison to get them off the streets. And so, but they still have the right for food, the need for food, the basic necessities. I mean, you can't neglect them. And that's really what this whole riot and story thereafter is like encompassing is these prisoners and inmates felt like they weren't getting the rights they deserved and acted out against it and you know it obviously turned very violent for a while but that's really a lot of 
the background of this story is really a lot of the takeaway of the story is what rights are they supposed to have? What rights should they be given? When should those rights get taken away? Should they even ever get taken away? And what rights and restrictions do officials have to place on inmates and prisoners? I think that they, I don't agree with the way that they went about it with killing innocent people, but like the innocent guards and stuff, you know, and holding them hostage. But I also see how they didn't have any other way to get their like to get the word out there and to spread what they really needed and the fact that they were being treated so poorly and i just wish that it would have gone different that the prison would have handled things differently yeah you know they were clearly frustrated they clearly have some violent past and you when you feel like your back's against the wall you don't necessarily react in a peaceful way and I think that's what happened here but like I said earlier those five inmates were sentenced to death they're still sitting on death row and 50 other inmates faced charges and 47 of them were convicted for those charges involving the riot as well thanks for listening to this week's episode of crime over coffee you can find us on instagram at crime over coffee or on facebook at crime over coffee podcast where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.